Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. Today, I've got a pleasure. Well, I've got a delight. Well, I've got a delightful conversation with Sister Mary Eucharista. She is my guest today. And we're going to talk about something that, well, she wasn't intending to discuss. But when we had a pre-recording conversation, it ended up shifting the entire direction of what it was we decided to talk about today. What are we going to talk about? Well, I'll tell you in a minute on Sound Insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com. drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, I thank you and praise you that you are the God of victory, the God who shows himself victorious over sin and death in our lives and in the lives of our loved ones. Lord, I ask that you bless this interview, bless Sister Mary Eucharista, and bless all those who are listening, especially those who have lost a loved one, lost a father, or who have struggled in their relationship with their own father. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would minister to them through this interview, that it would bring consolation, it would bring support, and would bring a path to healing. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I alluded to it at the very beginning, and you'll hear it at the beginning of the interview, which is coming up in just one minute. Uh, Sister Mary Eucharista gave me, uh, reached out to me, and, and uh, you'll hear that in the interview, but what came out into the open was the fact that my father had died and she ended up ministering to me in some really beautiful ways. And I said, sister, you really need to talk about this on the radio. So that's how I begin the interview talking about that. We do rec- uh, highlight at the beginning, uh, at the very end of the interview, an upcoming day of reflection that is connected to all saints day. And so I do encourage you to get it, get ahead of that. It's a week from now. And so to be thinking about what will I be doing to honor the Lord for the gift of the saints? Well, if you're in the Spokane area at the Immaculate Heart Retreat Center, Sister Eucharista is leading a day of prayer and reflection. And so I do encourage you to check that out. It's at ihrc.net, ihrc.net, the Immaculate Heart Retreat Center.net. All right, let's get into the interview. Well, I want to welcome to the program, Sister Mary Eucharista. Sister is a sister. She is a religious sister. She's a consecrated religious of the Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Church. Welcome to the program, Sister. Thank you very much, Tom. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, you are. I. <laughs> you're here today when we're talking because of Sister guilt. This was good. I like That's this. Right. The, the nun guilt. I like this. Mm. This was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you uh, you called me and you left a very gentle message that said, Tom, I've called three times. 
and you haven't responded. I hope everything's okay. <laughs> oh, I felt just exposed. I felt exposed. Oh. Well, <laughs> but, it wasn't intended, but if it happened, then thanks be to God. <laughs> no, that's great. It's, it's a, uh, the joke in the seminary was um, like, the, what, what's the hierarchy in the church? You've got the lay people and deacons and priests and, and monsignors and bishops and cardinals and the pope and then nuns. <laughs> oh, I did not know that hierarchy. You've never heard that before? Well, I must never have gotten that memo because uh, you'd never know it. But, you know, <laughs> I just know that I'm the spouse of Christ. And as they say, uh, Mary is the uh, neck that 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 turns the head of the mystical body. So I would like to be like Mary. And if that's what can happen, thanks be to God. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's so funny. I get a lot of voicemails, but when I hear your voice, I sit up a little straighter. I'm listening. Cool. I'm like, <laughs> and how do you like that? After 23 years of teaching high school, I never even touched a kid, never carried a ruler. The only time I ever used a ruler was for measuring. And it was, uh, I used to joke about that. And that I'd never let the kids take a picture of me with a ruler because I just didn't want the, you know, the yeah. angst of other yeah. generations falling upon me. <laughs> Yes. Well, anybody who knows you, sister, they don't carry that sense at all. Yeah, I, oh. I think they'd call you a sister of joy. Um, you're oh. always just bubbling over with enthusiasm, right? And enthusiasm comes from a root that means in God, right? Yes. And theos, enthusiasm. And uh, yeah. it, your joy is definitely rooted in your relationship with the Lord. So oh, thank you, Tom. Yeah. That is, I used to have, there was a headmaster at our old school. He used to call me Sister Enthusiastica. <laughs> Are you serious? I am. Yeah. He, he would, I mean, he'd be joking, of course, but one day he walked by uh, and I was in the, the main kitchen where there was, uh, people could walk by that kitchen because, um, but I was helping with dishes. And he said, oh, oh, my goodness. And I said, what? He said, Sister Enthusiastica, I cannot believe that you are dipping your Shakespearean hands into common dishwater. And I was like, ah, and the other nuns are like, ah, he's on to you. He knows who you are. He's, <laughs> uh, he sees you. I was like, mm, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> well, it's great to have you on. It's been a while since we were on together. And I think I had one of those times where, I don't often have good excuses. Like I can't really play a card and say, yeah, oh, I, I got a pass on this one. But yesterday when I uh, called you back, I, I got a pass. I think it was the the first time I ever got a, an authentic, real, profound pass for not responding to you in a timely fashion. And you started to then talk. And I'm like, sister, I know we're going to be on together tomorrow, but we... We need to talk about this and not only the thing that um, you've been waiting to talk about, which are the angels and archangels uh, in anticipation of the um, coming up of All Saints Day. We, we, we missed the, the feast of the angels and archangels, but we'll still talk about them and do so in the light of the upcoming uh, beautiful solemnity of All Saints Day. But the, the thing that I mentioned to you that led you to start sharing so beautifully and profoundly was around the death of my dad. Mm -hmm. And, and then you just started to say some things that I was like, wow, sister Mary Eucharista, this, what you're sharing right here, people need to hear this. This is important. And mm -hmm. so I'm excited folks, because uh, I've, I've already just 
just uh, was able to skim along with just a, a few of the thoughts that sister had. And I, and I said to her, please, let's, let's do this live. Let's do this on the radio because I want folks to be blessed the way I was blessed with some of the things that you were sharing with me. And you got me to reflect a bit more on my dad's um, recent passing. My dad died less than a month ago. And, um, and you were saying some things that really caught me off guard and really made me stop and ponder and say, all right, there's more here than meets the eye. So with that, as, as a first said, when, when I shared with you that my, my dad had, had uh, passed away, my dad had died. Um, how did you react to that? Well, I, I felt very sorry because losing a father is a, is a terrible thing. But you didn't really lose your father. You gained heaven in the knowledge of his passing. And with uh, the various ways that you uh, made sure that the church ministered to him, you, you are assured that he will, uh, you know, uh, surrounded by God's grace, um, he is in eternal life where he is rooting for you. But the, the interesting thing is that uh, in the midst, it's such a mixed bag because we miss our parents, yet we see their suffering in this present life. We don't want them to go on one hand, and on the other hand, we want them to be released. And I, I really think that God wills for our purgatory to be here and now. And if there's anything left over, then of course, that is a merciful time of, of very grateful purification for all of us. But when we lose our parents, I think I mentioned to you, and this is where you, you made the comment, when you lose your mother, it's like losing the sun in your solar system. And when you lose your father, it's like someone has taken the ground out from under your feet. And even though I loved my parents so equally, I think I was I I I I was closer to my mother, but I wept more at my father's passing because the losing of a dad, whether you're a son or a daughter, um, it doesn't matter. He is vital to your makeup. And without him, you would never have gotten into this world. And he is necessary for you to have lived a normal human life. And if people were robbed of that in their childhood or even in their adulthood, they are, they've, they've lost someone that is a, a link to this earth in a way that centers us grounds us and makes us the human beings that are not crazy you know i mean i think i think without a father we are very ungrounded but in your case i felt deep sorrow because as a father of 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 as many children as you have you you will one day be that that missing piece for them and it will be a very sorrowful time indeed but for the losing of your father it, the, 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 this time of sorrow is very real. I don't think we can get it. We can't capture it at first. So we may spend years weeping or wishing we could weep for the loss of a parent. Yeah. And so sister Mary Eucharisto, you were, when you said, oh, your mom was like the sun in the sky, the light, and your dad was like the ground underneath your feet. I had never heard that before, but I thought, 
oh, my goodness, you must have known my mom and dad. <laughs> Thinking that it was really just describing my mom and dad, my mom sort of the life of the party and just the the one who's the engine in the room and full of personality and my dad just peacefully sort of sitting in the corner, smiling and taking it all in. And as I begin to think about it more fully, and I was like, oh, my dad was more than just sort of the quiet presence enjoying things. No, he was a protective cover over yeah. our home. Yes. a protection over our lives. And when I pondered it a little bit more, and even it didn't take me long, it was just sort of like this lightning flash of intuition that was like, yeah, I felt like everything was going to be okay because my dad was there. That being on solid ground, things were not shaky. Mm -hmm. And that that was something that I, I hadn't really considered before. And yeah. it's like, oh, wait a minute. No, that's the role of a father. Yeah. The role of a father is to provide that sense of solid ground for mm -hmm. someone to be able to move forward in life. And, you know, sister, I, I, you know, you saying that it makes me like think again and more deeply about, so many families that have been fractured or ruptured um, through divorce, mm -hmm. especially when a father betrays uh, the family or walks away from the family um, in the name of, you know, happiness or, or whatever other, um, ex you know, whatever other ration rationalizations are said and saying, Oh, it'll be better for the kids. And, um, it really, almost without exception, it's just the opposite. The kids, they they cry and they weep and they and they. Uh, it, what is it? They lose a sense that their world is whole. Their world has been shattered. There's yeah. a fracturing. And I'm sure. Have you, when you were thinking about that reality that you know that your dad is the ground underneath your feet? I'm sure you you've counseled and been spiritual director to so many that have not had or, or struggle with maybe God the Father or struggle in their lives with their own sense of identity because of the relationship they've had with their father that was broken. You know, I when you when I said that, I was thinking, I, I think I was commenting on the fact that I cried more for my father and his passing and he's been gone longer. But I think I, I don't, it's uh, rather inexplicable when you try to analyze why am I crying every year more for my dad than for my mom? And I think out of all of us kids, I knew my father better because we used to go to work together and we, I would ask him things like, so dad, what did you really like to do when you were a kid? You know, mm -hmm. and he's like, oh, I don't know. I can't really think, well, I guess I would like this. And then pretty soon he was waxing strong on all the stuff he really liked. We would also go on little adventures like um, <laughs> one year. Well, we would get a dozen donuts and eat them on the way home before dinner. I mean, what a what a wild, strange, horrible. I had a great metabolism in those days, so I could still eat dinner afterwards. And he, of course, did not uh, eat his whole dinner, but he was, you know, mom would find out. We also would buy um, for Halloween one year, he bought like a hundred uh, tickets that you give out from Baskin Robbins and it was 25 cents for a scoop of ice cream and he bought them, but very few people came to the house 
for ice cream or, or for Halloween that year. So uh, we went out together and got like triple scoops on the way back from work. So it was a really fun time. And so dad and I used to goof off that way sometimes after work. But um, I know it was way more and deeper than those those frivolous sounding things. Uh, I think for parents to have fun with their kids, those kids begin to to feel a humanity about their parents that isn't the case when they're on their, um, you know, at home needing to keep on the facade of, yeah, I got to, you know, I'm your mother and that's why I say this to you. I'm your father and that's why you're going to do what I say. And it wasn't that way um, when later, you know, and but when I said the ground under my feet, it sounds a little bit like uh, like my mom's in the sky and my dad's underneath. No, that's not the case. It's it's like a grounding. And I think you understood that. But when you said an overarching safety, it's like when I think of my uh, where I'm standing being safe, that's a very safe place. Uh-huh. And um, if, you know, all men uh, seek three things in their marriages down deep whether they say it or not actually i want to try to guess these i want to try to guess these. oh would you would you all right let's go hi this is dr tom curran and you know me as the host of sound insight i am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of washington and in idaho I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. I want to try to guess things. Oh, would you? Would you? All right, let's go. Yeah. So you say, I want three things in my marriage. So are these things towards my wife? Nope, just in general. Just just in general. So, okay, you said I want to love my wife, right? Mm -hmm. Is that one of them? Yeah. So, yeah, I want to be loving. I, um, let's see. I would say, I was going to use the word respect. I think that that was one of the things that I've read that men want to be respected and um, uh, men want to be affirmed. Okay. I don't know. I'm making those up. So I, I don't Thank know. Thank you. Those... No, those, those are, those are great. And I think uh, that is true. I think respect is essential for both, both, but I have also heard that men, uh, you know, the, if, if you, if you, challenge their respect and and with men men and women are such different creatures um god really knew what he was doing but he also made it a constant marriage is a constant experiment in how to figure the other out and it's not really helpful because the two ways that the men and the women are thinking are are so so not connected unless there's deep love and in um well i made the grave mistake of telling this gentleman who had asked me he was writing a book and he said i i'd like to know what you think men want in a marriage and i said well why would you be asking me and men because he wasn't even catholic or anything and he said i just want to know because you're a celibate i want to know what you believe men want in a marriage and i said well i'm a rather pragmatic person i do stick with you know 
uh, things as I see them. So I hope you won't be offended if I tell you that I think they want sex. I think they want to be taken care of. And I think they want uh, like something bigger than themselves. Like, so, so they need to have a family. And his face dropped and he looked so uh, like disappointed. And I, I, I was really nervous after that. I said, well, what, I'm sorry, I, what do you, you know, he says, well, I wrote a book about this. If you really want to read this, this is, and he gave me his manuscript and um, this is what he said. Men from the bottom of their hearts want to love their wives. They want to protect their wives and their family. And they want to provide for their wives and their family. And this guy was a doctor, a physician, almost retired. And he was so on this thing that as I start reading about the trials and tribulations of married couples, whom I, I work with in my in my um, in my spiritual direction, um, I'm constantly uh, reminded of this. And when we go back to that in a marriage, that's that's the part I can actually. I thought I was seeing a man who wanted to be taken care of. A man who, um, you know, I mean, I I didn't know if my my dad wanted sex uh, when he was young because I was there after he had his first child. I was his second child. But and the third one was I just always kind of got the gist that, you know, everybody wants a family because, you know, you want to be a dad. You want to be a good guy. You want to, you know, that's what who we are in America, in the world. You're a you're a father and you're in a family. But I don't think anyone in my family even knew these three factors Uh and um, to have a good marriage I think it's really vital that that word get out but um, it's hard to see unless men are sometimes reminded of that through the respect that their wives and families give them and of Uh course today's society does not give respect today's society disrespects men in a most terrible way and um, their normal masculinity is labeled toxic just because it's masculine which is a tragedy. And um, when I looked back and saw the life of my father, indeed, I saw that he loved his wife more than anything on earth. He loved his family and wanted to provide and did indeed provide in every possible way, whether it be insurance, he was a nuclear engineer, he was was part of a firm here in town, and then he went into uh, nuclear conservation energy and he was um he protected us always one night um there was a rattling of the garbage cans after we moved to idaho and he looked out the window and there was a grizzly bear and he had knocked over the trash cans and he was um we figured out later we had, it would have been a friday night so there had been tuna cans in the garbage can and the bear couldn't open the, the garbage can, so he kept throwing it against the garage wall and denting it. And finally, because he dented it so badly, the top popped off. He got a hold of the tuna cans and put holes in there like the size of, I mean, I, we could not believe it. You could stick your thumb in those holes. That's his canine teeth. Anyway, um, my dad got his 12-gauge shotgun out, just ran out and kaboom, kaboom, over their heads, you know, because he didn't want to, you know, you don't want to have a wounded grizzly bear running around your, your area. So he shot over their heads. They, they ran away. But my sister, of course, uh, got up, you know, woke up screaming, communists are coming. 
what's happening? And mom's going, honey, never, don't worry. It's just your father. He's protecting us. And he's trying to get rid of a grizzly bear that just ran away. And we're not going to go out there until morning to see the damage he did. So, so go back to sleep. But you know, that was my dad. Always careful, always strong, always watching. Did he have his faults? Oh, yeah. All of us could see those faults. But we loved dad for who he was. Every one of us wept at his death. And this is a, a man who was foremost and, and firmly a man of God and a Catholic and a, a family man and a man who wanted to just love his wife, protect his family and provide for them. And he did that. And every man, I give kudos and praise and blessings from God the Father to every man who replicates God the Father on this earth. Because we need to love our men and we need to give um, give God the Father kudos too and recognize the joy of being fathers. And I've got many more things to say about that, but you, I'm certain, want to say more about this. <laughs> it's your oh, dad who died, so. No, I love it. Yeah. it. You've got me thinking and pondering and sort of like um, aligning it with the sort of the insights that I've come to and that um, I've pondered and were taught to me. What's uh, what's kind of mysterious is the fact that we as a church have not done a good job of really forming in the minds of young men as they approach marriage, what their mission is yes. specifically towards their wives and families. Yes. And, and then the, the same could be true of, of wives as well. But totally, I can remember it was, I don't know, maybe six to eight years ago where I started hearing these talks on marriage that were opening my mind to some of the riches in our tradition around what does it mean to be a man who is also a godly husband and father. And the three words that I've come up with that um, I think map somewhat against your three, the provide and protect are two of them. The third one mm -hmm. is lead. Mm. That, uh, that a husband and a father is called to lead, provide, and protect. And so when I would use that uh, love, that, that when you say, what is your mission? What are you to do? That would come under provision. You provide love into the home. You, you, you're providing those other good things. And love is one of the first among those things that you would be providing. So I would, I would, I would, uh, Dr. Tom would slightly adjust Dr. Whomever that was writing that other book and say, um, love, provide and protect is really good. I would shift it a little bit and say, lead, provide and protect in terms um, of what what we're called to do. Mm -hmm. and well, so but, but see, we're talking about what do men want? And this is the truth. They want to love their wives. This is, uh, it flies in this whole social understanding of, you know, we want to get something out of our marriage. If you don't give me at least 50%, then I'm out. You know, it's like, no, you give a hundred percent of your love and you can lead through love too, mm -hmm. you know, uh, but 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 this is what men want, and it's you want to genuinely love their wives, protect their wives and family, and provide for their wives and family. And um, I think that this leading through love could be an easy switch over to the next step, which is what do men, uh, what what does God want of you in your marriage? 
change. Mm -hmm. And that is to lead through love and to provide and protect. And, you know, and I'm sure the saints have so much more beauty that they could add to these things, which is what this great feast is coming up. The the great men and women who have gone before us in the, in the sign of faith and who sleep in the sleep of peace. Amen. So, and those are our parents, by the way. Um, I have a friend, his name is Father Joseph Marquis, and I'll let him know that I've mentioned his name on a radio broadcast here, but um, he was actually um, losing, he has an identical twin, Richard, and um, they were with their father when he died. And before he died, their, his father, their father uh, reached out and put his hand on each of their shoulders and said, guys, I want you to know something. After I pass, I want you to ask me for stuff. Don't ask some saint that you don't know. Ask me. I'm not going to hell. That means I'll either be in purgatory, which means I can help you through intercession, or heaven, which means I can help you through intercession. Ask me. I'm there for you. When I heard that, I know my my parents have helped me with things after they, especially right after they left, I asked them for things and they helped me. One night it was when I was going, um, my mom felt afraid and um, I was staying with her just to keep her, you know, calm and, and happy. And, um, but I had to leave one night in the middle of the night a tree came down in a windstorm. Um, My brother, who is not a super strong Catholic, he's getting there because now he started praying the rosary again. And now he's starting to lead my other brother and uh, my other siblings in in ways that are very beautiful. Um, And through the the saying of the rosary, which is also an October month uh, dedication as well. But um, anyway, my brother went and he examined where the tree fell And it was like a half inch from my mother's uh, living room. Um, It was supposed to, David went and looked and he said, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. This tree, look at it. Look at the physics of this thing. This thing was supposed to fall right through mom's living room. And it didn't. And, and, And can you fathom this? Don't you think dad was involved in this? And I was like, I got a chill. And I said, David... I wonder, and of all nights was the night I wasn't there, but that same night I had to drive back to Spokane because she was in Idaho and I felt afraid. And I was like, why do I feel afraid? I don't know. It was inexplicable. And then I had to get my mom's mail at the bottom of uh, her hill. It was in the dark. And um, I, I, I paused. I mean, I put the car, I closed, I just, you know, uh, stopped the car, I put it in park. And I, before I got the mail, I thought, why am I afraid? And all of a sudden, I just got this bolstering. And I felt like my father was sitting next to me. And I just smiled. And I said, Okay, Dad, let's go get the mail. So I went and he always he and I would always fight to get the mail. So either I would run and get it. And he I'd be running and he'd say, No, no, I'm getting it. And I'd be like, No, I got it. I got it. And then uh, then we'd come back. And on the way back, we would look at all oh, you know, what we got. But um, so I just said, dad, let's go get the mail. And sure enough, we went and uh, I felt my father with me. I got the mail. I put it in the car. I was healed from that kind of weird fear that I had. And also my mom had no more fear after that. She was fine. And when you think about uh, a tree falling half an inch away from your living room, 
the corner of your house and it was supposed to fall in the middle. I mean, other people might look at that and say, oh, that's just fancy. It's, you're just thinking about, you just love your dad, I know. I don't think so. I think those are all small ways that our loved ones accompany us and help us. And if we believe in the communion of saints, our parents, if they have made it through this life and raised you and did the best they can, and you're praying for them, no prayer goes unanswered. And I think that we need to really be cognizant of the fact that God is true to his promises. Um, we shouldn't imagine that our loved ones are in hell. Uh, God is merciful. And if we are praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet, if we are acknowledging the resurrection of Christ who died for everyone, and we also are totally in that place where um, we have been with our parents, they had the, the sacrament of the sick before they died, they, they did the best they could. I mean, what more are we asking for? You know, I don't you know, know, sister, I, uh, this idea that we are to like call to them with confidence that they see us and that they will respond to our prayers in accord with God's plan and design and in, in accord with the intimacy of that relationship. It, it's such a beautiful thing. And, and I know it, I, I reference this incredible quote from the catechism it's uh, it's in the fourth section uh, on uh, prayer, the fourth pillar, and it's in that section that's called the cloud of witnesses. I think it's paragraph twenty eight fifty three. I'm doing that from memory, but the passage says that those that have gone before us, marked with faith, they see God, they praise Him continually, and they're doing one other thing constantly caring for those whom they have left behind on earth, constantly caring for those whom they've left behind on earth. And that is so poignant and powerful. And, and, and really the, if you think about it, their love of us and care for us has been purified and perfected. So in heaven, they know exactly how to care for us and love us because they see us in God. They see yeah. our situation in God. And what's really striking to me is that, you know, my dad has, he, he died a, less than a month ago. I have not asked him for anything. I've not, I've, I've prayed for him. But I've never said, Dad, can you help me with this? Dad, I know you see me right now. Dad, I really need you to be a father to me from heaven. And I, that's a big takeaway I'm getting from our interview is to, with with a sense of, um, um, I don't know, tenderness, with a sense of, of intimacy, with a sense of being known, to be able to, to say to my dad, 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 can you help me now? Now, you know, dad, now, you know, what I was trying to describe to you and boy, you know, it even better than I do. So please help me. So I love that. I think it's also such a reflection of the, the, the way that we speak to our God, you know, if we could talk to our dads, sometimes Sometimes I would need my mom there and sometimes I would I would make sure my mom wasn't there because I could usually ask my dad for things like money 
without any problem. But sometimes if mom was there, she'd be saying, you, you get your allowance. You don't need to ask your father for money. But I usually could work deals with my dad. And See, that's not just in our family. Boy, everybody goes to dad. No one goes to mom. Oh, my family. Oh, the text oh, messages, the private text messages. Dad, can I have 10 bucks? I'm going out to dinner with my friends. And oh, they only go to dad. They do not go to mom. Yeah, that well, so and, funny. and I didn't so much ask for just like 10 bucks. I would be more like asking for a hefty sum for, for, for me, for important reasons. And uh, the important reasons, my mom probably could have said, honey, you, you're working, use that. And, uh, but I was, I was, you know, I knew dad would give it to me. And there were certain things that I could do to have dad. Uh, and mom would sometimes come in on that and say, oh, you're just, you know, you wrap your, he's wrapped right around your little finger. I can see this, you know, Carl, you're always letting her have the things she wants. And I guess that's just up to you, isn't it? So you you need to figure it out. Anyway, my mom uh, was also very kind. And of course, her purse was where uh, we usually went when we were younger. But, you know, if our parents love us so much, even aunts and uncles, like I love my nieces and nephews so much. And I sometimes will hold them and say, if I love you so much, and I'm just your aunt, think how wonderful it is to be held by God, to let God love you. And when I'm thinking of my mom, when I'm thinking of my dad, I'm thinking of, I asked them stuff. And it was like the uh, training ground of me going to my God, you know, Jesus, oh my goodness, you're my husband. I need this for this person, or I need this for me, or I need this for that family that's devastated can you please help me? And then I'll say, Hey, mama, Mary, you're my mother-in-law and you're my mom. So I just need you. Can you please help me? I place this in your immaculate heart. Please let this be okay with his family. And these are all ways, you know, when your parents went into your room at night and said, uh, good night, honey, we're just, uh, you, you want a good night kiss? Okay. And then blessing. And it's like, as soon as they went out of the room, mom, leave the door open just a little bit. Dad, can you leave the light on in the hallway? And it's like, sure, honey. Okay, night, night. And then they're blowing kisses as they're walking away. And, you know, this is, I, I remember just cozying up and thinking, I have the best parents in the whole world. I am the luckiest girl in the whole world. And if that isn't a training ground for how we are to feel with the Lord, I don't know what is. Our parents are complete reflections of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is where if we don't, if our parents are still alive, we can still get this going with them. And they need us, especially as we get older. They need us. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll let you in on this one. And then I'm going to tell you about something about reflective listening with my mom. Oh, okay, great. Well, you should let me in. I thought you were going to tell me a secret. So I'm talking today with Sister Mary Eucharista, and we're talking a bit about uh, we're talking about just the idea of um, being able to mourn the loss of your father and understand the meaning of what it has, what it is to have a father, to be uh, to have a mother, and to to lose, especially a father, in the light of the fact that I lost my dad about a month ago, and um, and also having our eyes turned towards heaven, 
And somehow the intercession of the saints gives us insight into the tender relationship with our Heavenly Father, with the Blessed Trinity, and how the Blessed Trinity longs to be so near to us and, and to bless us with um, with, with such uh, beautiful gifts. And, and the saints are among those gifts. The angels are among those gifts. And so I know, sister, that we're going to be shifting around to talk about a day of reflection you have coming up on All Saints Day because we don't want to miss out on this beautiful solemnity that the church gives us in her wisdom to honor all of the saints and all souls on such uh, beautiful feast days that connect us even more fully to heaven. So, so sister, you are going to uh, mention one more story, and then I want to uh, make sure that we have a chance to talk a bit about uh, All Saints Day coming up and, and preparing ourselves for that and how you can be a blessing to so many folks who are listening and watching uh, are on All Saints Day itself. Wow. Thank you, Tom. And, you know, this this one little secret I'll tell you, um, it's about uh, when, I don't know, it's it might have been the time when our parents were going through, um, it was, you know, it was it was their generation. And in many cases, um, they never got to do the things they wanted to do. They were always, you know, dutifully uh, responding to the needs of others around them, uh, following through on what is needed by the family, following through on what is needed by the husband or the wife, and always, always laboring for the family. And in their old age, at least with my mother, I have found so many people who have trouble talking to their mothers and not feeling... Um, well, I, I think our mothers, for the most part, at least in my generation, our mothers never felt really heard or had a very difficult time feeling heard. And when I would, I didn't know that. I thought my mom was the most vocal of our family. And, you know, mom, dad would joke about things like if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And, you know, if mama's mama's word, well, go ask your mother, you know, and then you can see, you know, we'll see if you can do that thing, whatever it is. But I always thought mom had complete and undiminished power in our family. But as it turns out, I found out that um, we were fighting a lot when she was getting older. And um, I, I just couldn't figure out how we could turn something so, so ordinary into this argument and I finally started crying and I went to therapy and I was asking my therapist, I just want my mother and me to be fine before she leaves this earth. I don't want to have us fighting. I hate the argument. It just seems like every single time I get together with her, I just, I go to clean her house and to make her a meal and we're just fighting. Uh, what is that? And he says, well, give me an example. I said, well, it's like um, she was reading something in the Coeur Press about, or the Spokesman Review or whatever, about um, uh, about the wolves getting killed. Uh, you know, like the wolves, they're killing the wolves, she says. And I said, oh, mom, they're, they're not killing the wolves. You know, it's like they're trying to defend livestock. Maybe think of it that way. And then pretty soon it was just like a cold silence reigns over this whole thing. And I was like, what did I say wrong? And she said, he's not, you didn't say it wrong. It's just... I can't, I just can't talk to you sometimes. And I was like, really heartbroken. Anyway, the therapist is listening. He said, you know, perhaps it would help to practice reflective listening. And I said, what is that? He said, well, for example, when your mom says they're killing all the wolves, instead of saying, no, they're not, because she's per perceiving that as um, I'm wrong and you're right. Instead, 
you could say, oh, I'll bet that just feels horrible. And I'm like, <laughs> she'd get it right away that I'm putting it on. And he said, but do you have to put it on? Maybe just try to feel what she's feeling right now. And I was like, okay, that's a smart idea. So I went, uh, the next time I went to see her, I brought another sister with me who I had told this story. And she said, well, let's, I'll, I'll listen in and see how you do. So uh, mom says, oh, for goodness sakes, um, these, uh, the, they're not, a good, they're, they're going to make a law to outlaw all the pit bulls from being in Coeur d'Alene. And can you believe that? And I said, wow, mom, that's awful. And she said, right. And she turns around. Now, normally she would, um, it's like she already expected an argument from me. So she would read the paper away from me. She would read the paper at the table with her back to me while I'm cleaning the kitchen. And then she starts to turn around. And I said, why are they doing that? And then she explains why. I already knew why, but I knew I needed to reflectively listen. So she is, um, uh, she's talking and she's getting passionate. And I'm saying, wow, mom, you're right. And then she turned all the way around in her chair and said, you're darn right, I'm right. And she said, thanks, honey. And I said, mom, you know what? You might even be able to write a letter to the editor. You're very eloquent. I bet they print it. And she said, you know, what a great idea. And she said, I think I will. And she went and got her pen and wrote herself a note, right? Letter to the editor about the pit bulls and the proposed law. And then she turned around and said, honey, so how are you doing? Do you know she hadn't asked me that for about a year? And it's because I was constantly putting her down. And I didn't know it. I thought I was helping her. I thought she was had a negative attitude. And I'll help her because I'll give her a positive attitude. Well, the only message she got from that was, uh, you're wrong, mom, and I'll tell you what's right. And I tell you, if that isn't a lesson in how to practice charity, humility, um, to get my pride just in the trash can there, and also to know I am not the answer, and also to build empathy. And do you know when my mom died? Yes, we did have one argument during her death week, but... Um, I really believe she and I were good friends and I it's because I practiced reflective listening and now mom knows what I was trying to communicate to her and I feel her presence as well you know in a sudden moment and it's like it's like a little angel wink and it's like oh my gosh that's mom and I have a story about that too but I don't think we have time today but it's a very eloquent story about my mother. Sister, let's hear it. I'm talking Sister Mary Eucharista. We have just okay. a few minutes left. I okay. want to hear the mother's story. Okay. It is um, my, uh, so after my mom died, she made me promise, before she died, she made me promise I would take care of her dog and that I would not let him go to a shelter. Now, this was a big dog. This was um, part husky, yellow lab, and wolf. So this guy needed special care and he was pretty big and an alpha male. So um, the father Gaines's family allowed me to keep him with their family. He said, they said indefinitely, don't worry about it. We got two nice big labs. Well, I said, well, this is a really alpha male. He had those two labs on their backs before, uh, he, you could say, as they say, Jack Robinson, this, this dog and, and it wasn't working. And I thought, you know, what's going to happen? 
I finally realized, I think I'm going to have to put him down because I had already checked. I had friends going door to door. I had friends doing emails, trying to get this dog a home. And I said, St. Anthony, you've got to find me a place. St. Francis, find me a family that will work. And I would say, mom, if you want Austin to go to a great home, you've got to help me find it. So uh, I, I finally made the realization at Saturday mass about a month after mom had died. And um, these two women came up and said, sister, what's wrong? And I said, they said, is it your mom? I said, well, kind of close. It's my mom's dog. I'm going to have to put him down. And they said, why? I said, well, because I can't find a good home for him. And she made me promise never to give him to a shelter. And so the only thing I can think of, he's an alpha male. I can't have him with other dogs. He's, I don't know, he needs to live in the country. No, all the people have country dogs. I don't know. And they said, sister, we're going to pray so hard. So they said, Lord, bring us a miracle today. And so they prayed and they prayed over me. They both had their hands on my shoulders. And I said, Lord, please help us, help us find Austin a home. And what do you know, an hour, within an hour, I had a phone call. One of those women's brothers had uh, his dog had died the night before from a, a, a lightning storm. She had had a heart attack under his pipe smoking chair. And he said, we'll, we'll talk to her about the dog. I called them. They said, we'll meet you in Colfax. Uh, we live in uh, down in Grangeville or Cottonwood. So we are an hour from the Cottonwood convent. This will be great. He'll have fields to roam in. He'll love it. So Strangely, my sister, who's a nun, asked if she could go with me to take him down there. So I went, picked him up at Gaines's. My sister and I went to Colfax. And if without her being there, we would not have gotten this little uh, idea, this, this, this totally, in my opinion, firm conviction that this, my mother had arranged this whole thing. Okay, so we were going down the main drag and uh, my focus was on the place where I was supposed to be, you know, a drop off the dog and meet the people and introduce the dog and bring all his toys in bed and all his leashes and all of his equipment and dog dishes and everything. Anyway, um, my sister saw this sign on a bank and it had a bell. And then this song, it said forevermore. And she said, sister, sister, it's mom. Mom's favorite expression was forevermore. Oh, forevermore, forevermore. She would say it for everything. And she learned it from these um, Irish nuns that we had in California that were our teachers. And when we just looked at each other and we, and Austin came over the seat at that point and he was panting and uh, I was just so amazed. And I thought of the exquisite timing that this dog, this dog meant a lot to my mother. And to have her arrange this so perfectly, he ended up living uh, another uh, five or six years with this family, who was the uh, brother of one of our best friends. And he ended up, um, he, 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 I would, oh, I had visiting rights. I would go down through Cottonwood and visit him, but, um, and give him treats, give him big, huge bones that he could finish off in a moment. I mean, it's just so amazing. Anyway, he, um, he died in on a, a, a sunny winter day. He had a thick coat because of his wolf and husky background, but he was in the shape of a heart with his tail over his nose. And his daddy called out to him, Austin, come on, let's go in for lunch. Austin, hey, Austin. He died in the sunshine. It was the perfect ending for this wonderful dog. 
And we've stayed friends to even to this day that that family still is connected to us. And, but that was a direct intervention, I believe, from my mother. And, you know, we'll know in heaven how many direct interventions were going on. But during my day of prayer, I'm going to bring in the saints. I'm going to show how saints have uh, assisted people in intercessory um, uh, ways, how uh, our own relatives are, are, it makes perfect sense. And you brought out the perfect catechism part about that. And um, also how the angels are part of this mysterious journey we have towards heaven. That will be from uh, nine to three on Wednesday, November 1st. And I'm just so excited. And I hope everybody will come. It will begin with a little time for recollection, then mass. We'll have two conferences, uh, confession, lunch, and um, closing with adoration and the rosary. So I hope people can come. Well, and that's so beautiful. And that, that's at the Immaculate Heart Retreat Center for folks that are not aware. The Immaculate Heart Retreat Center is on the South Hill of Spokane. The website where you can learn more about that and many other retreats and days of prayer, recollection, and other uh, services that are offered, ministries offered at the Immaculate Heart Retreat Center, just go to ihrc.net, ihrc, as in Immaculate Heart Retreat Center, .net. Sister is the director of programs there and retreats and does an amazing job. There's so many beautiful offerings there. The grounds are beautiful. And honestly, I think it's fitting to go up there for All Saints Day in particular as well because of All Souls Day and the presence of the um, the cemetery up there. Just to walk among, uh, you're walking among the, the saints in heaven, but you also are very grounded on earth with uh, a very clear remembrances of the reality of death as well. So uh, it's a beautiful place. It it's just, it's a gorgeous it, place to be. It really is. And if anyone is uh, having, you know, remember that there is an, a plenary indulgence you can gain for the Holy Souls by visiting a cemetery uh, once a day for eight days following the Feast of All, All Souls. Uh, starting on the Feast of All Saints, I think they had, and they used to have the Totsios, Quotsios indulgence, but you can still say in our uh, Six Our Fathers, Hail Marys and Glory Bees in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament on All Souls Day as well. And uh, that this is a Totsios, Quotsios indulgence that you can gain once a day in the cemetery. Just visit a Catholic cemetery. You don't even need to have uh, say say anything like usually with some indulgence prayers you have to move your lips or something but this is the one time you just visit and you can just love god and pray for the souls and uh that's a, a beautiful way to honor them and to help them oh i love that i love that i did you know i think i had like kind of a vague memory a vague sense of that but that's not something that we did growing up so i, I love that thank you sister you, you're introducing you're me to a, a whole new uh, way to to gain those great blessings from the treasury of heaven that the lord is so ready to give amen they're all around us we just need to pick them up <laughs> amen that's sister mary eucharista again just a delight having you on as always a great conversation and uh, i'm looking forward to having you on again very soon sister Thank you, Tom. God bless you. And thank you for the ministry that you are in and praying for all of these wonderful people who are listening to you on the radio right now and for blessings for them and that we may all meet as saints one day. Amen. That is our hope. That's Sister Mary Eucharista with me today. Please join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.